Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by Aria Benefits. We help business leaders attract and retain top talent. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with a beautiful sunny day with my co-host and business partner, Al McDonald. Al, beautiful weekend. Are you getting out on that bike or what? I may indeed just do that. Hockey season has started, which usually puts a damper on my cycling, but I've got a bit of time off this weekend from hockey. So it looks like it's going to be a great couple of days and give me the opportunity to cycle around the hills of Halton with uh, fall colors. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. What a great time with all the uh, leaves changing. It's it's one of my favorite times of year. And uh, certainly where you are in Halton region is a beautiful spot. Well, I'm excited. As you know, I'm excited on podcast Friday anyway, but in particular, I had such a great conversation with today's guest. Joining us today is John Metropolis. I hope I did your name justice there, John. You can correct me. But John is the president of Vocantis, a technology company devoted to helping their clients improve scheduling using automatic shift filling to fill shift vacancies. Vocantis's platform helps to reduce the time and effort it takes to manually make phone calls to fill shifts. Improving fill rates means higher productivity, and in the case of their healthcare customers, patient safety when scheduling and staffing nurses. Mm -hmm. Before joining Vocantis, John was the global head of connections at Link, the general manager of the SMB Group at Texas, a global leader in supply chain solutions. Prior to that, he held several leadership positions at McKesson, Canada, and OpenText. Throughout his career, he has always focused on building success by focusing on developing individuals and teams that support each other and provide a world-class customer experience. I love that. I'm a big fan. John is passionate about assisting companies that want to take their business to the next level. John is the father of two kids that are in university in Ottawa and Oakville. And as a foodie, he loves food. We have that in common, both cooking and eating it. And he also enjoys burning off those calories cycling or mountain biking. So obviously... I see why you and Al get along so well. Welcome Clearly. to the show, John. <laughs> Thank you so much. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. And thanks for such a great introduction. It sounds better when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, where I wanted to start today isn't where, you know, we initially chatted about, but I'm hoping you're okay to go with it. So I'm on LinkedIn this morning and mm-hmm. a future guest uh, that we booked for, I think sometime in October, her name is Leah Carr. And she posts, she does great posts. So if, if anyone's listening, follow Leah. She's got, she puts out great videos. She puts out great questions to ponder. And this morning's, you know, made me think. And I wanted to ask you, she asked, what's the best piece of advice you ever received? So maybe, maybe we can start there. That's a fantastic question. I've received a lot of advice from someone early on in my career. I was lucky enough to have a fantastic mentor early on when I was at OpenText. And the piece of advice, I think that maybe not the best, but the one that stuck with me and has really been sort of a guiding principle in my career has been honesty, right? Being honest in every interaction, whether it's with coworkers or with customers. So being completely transparent with customers on a situation that's happening with them. Sometimes customers are unhappy, sometimes things happen and you have to deal with them obviously. 
And there's no point in trying to beat around the bush or to try to minimize a situation. The best way to tackle a problem I've always believed is to better understand it and go straight towards it. And the same is true of staff. Whenever I've worked at OpenText and McKesson, a few other places, we've been through, I've been part of and been on both sides of the acquisition. So I know what it's like for employees to be sort of not knowing how confident they are as far as going forward. So whenever there's an acquisition, people are always very, very uncomfortable. They don't know. They feel like they're on shaky ground. And I've always taken the opportunity to have an open door policy, as cliche as that is. I've even dragged my my chair out into the hallway to make sure that I have as many conversations with people as possible to try to belay their fears and make them feel confident that, you know, yes, this has happened. It's a terrible thing. But at the same time, you know, we'll be stronger going forward. And these are the reasons that I want you to stay. You know, there's a reason why we pick and choose the people that we want to stay and go. So that's good advice. And I think we've all been in those situations, those uncomfortable situations that we we know, oh, geez, that's going to be uncomfortable to chat about. And once you take that approach and you say, you know what, I'm just going to face this head on and we're going to have an open conversation. It's not always easy, but the outcome is always the best rather than shying away from it or making up a story around it or, you know, creating excuses. So that's great insight. I think 50% of my career is being able to master having difficult conversations. (laughs) There's a saying, you know, you have to become comfortable being uncomfortable And that is one of the biggest things that in public speaking, I think were the two biggest things that I had to overcome as I sort of made my way up through the ranks over the years. So as you were answering that question, John, I was thinking back to a couple of podcasts we've done recently with some chief people officers and their approach and some of the things that they've talked about in some of our podcasts is quite a bit different from some of the conversations we've had with business owners and entrepreneurs. But your answer really seemed to almost kind of straddle that gap. So I was just interested to hear your conversation. Obviously, you talked about honesty. That's something that's obviously very important in our business. So I, I definitely mm-hmm. could relate to that. But I did want to also talk a little bit about people because, and you've already touched on it. You've already touched on those conversations, but I wanted to, to delve a little bit more uh, into it because in our first conversation where we talked to you, you talked about the importance of people and the success of, of any business. And I think anyone would agree with that. Obviously, that's key. So can you just talk about some of the ways to get the best out of people as it relates to your business? What's your experience been? Sure, absolutely. And I did learn this early on is, you know, because I've been primarily in technology, but to your point, it's translatable to almost any industry. We can't get anything done without people, right? And it's a lot easier to have everybody in the boat rowing in the same direction. You're going to get there a lot faster and hopefully the ride's going to be a little bit less bumpy. And even if it is, at least you'll be together, right? That's always been sort of the analogy that I've focused on. So I put a lot of importance on people because in technology, it's 99%. It's people that are creating the product. It's people that are using the product. It's people that are supporting other people. It's people that are supporting people that are supporting people. So you see where I'm going with this analogy. So a lot of times I've inherited situations that were not ideal, right? So it was post an acquisition or maybe the owners had just left, or maybe there was a problem with a recent problem, whatever the case may be. So I would say that some of the staff were sort of disenfranchised, maybe not engaged at work, not engaged in the product and what they were doing. So this actually sort of fascinated me because I was for the first time in a position where I was in a management role or a leadership role, and I had to sort of motivate and get people engaged and working in the same direction. So I did a lot of research on what motivates people. 
And it's a surprisingly complex conversation. There's a lot of information out there, both from sort of neuroscientists that have done studies over the years, as well as people managers and leadership people as well. So I tried to, you know, my analytical brain likes to take the bits and pieces that resonate with me, put them together and create sort of my own approach to that. So the way I did it, one of the best examples was, and this was probably one of the most challenging parts of my career, was I was a newly minted general manager of a software company. But it was a bit bittersweet because 40% of the staff had just been laid off. So the staff that I inherited were extremely disenfranchised, extremely disconnected from each other, from the company, from themselves. So I had to build a strategy for each functional group to give them something to strive for. And one of the first things that I did was with the product team, because I was very concerned that I was going to start having brain drain and losing key individuals from the R&D team if I didn't do something quickly. So one of the first things that we did was I developed a new product strategy and we try to amp it up sort of to the next level by giving them the opportunity to start learning some new languages and new technologies. The reality is no one goes four years of comp sci to learn how to fix bugs. They want to build cool new stuff. So I recognize that this was a way to motivate them, right, is to, to give them that shiny new thing for them to advance their careers, to keep them engaged, both personally and professionally. And it really did help, right? I can't tell you how many times I would get yelled at in the morning for suggesting something stupid. And then by three o'clock in the afternoon, they would show me what they built. It was really fascinating to see that. So I'm smiling over here because um, my previous life was at <laughs> an engineering company where we uh, wrote software all the time. And I can absolutely attest to the fact that every software person out there wants yeah. to put their mark on things and it's not by fixing bugs, it's by building something better. So yeah, <laughs> I'm agreed. smiling here as you're going through that and uh, because I can definitely relate. Yeah, and I mean, I've always believed that you can't have fire without friction. So pushing them, having them push each other because you don't become an analytical person because you're an engineer. You're an analytical person, and that's why you become an engineer, right? So it's not only understanding what motivates people, it's also understanding people's behaviors and just who they are, right? I've even gone so far as digging into your sort of career story. So I've changed companies over the years. I've changed roles over the years. So how do you quickly engage with a brand new company and brand new staff? You know, how do you endear yourselves to them? And something that I learned during my time at McKesson was how to tell your career story. So if you can encapsulate sort of your career and a bit of your life story as well into sort of bite-sized things that are not as personal as you want to make them, but at least a little bit personal, if you're able to share that concisely, it actually allows other people to build a better connection with you because they feel they know more about you. And typically what happens is you get more engagement with the team much more quickly and there's a sense of ownership and actually they feel like they don't want to let you down because now you've become a friend. But the other thing that it creates, which I love, and this is something that I try to learn from other people, is it, you know, we see the world through the lens of our own beliefs, right? And that lens is built based on past experience. So if you're in a meeting and you're discussing a customer or something and somebody blows up, I never think to myself, okay, what is wrong with this person, right? The first thing I think about is, okay, what is going on in this person's life that would have this reaction? Is there something going on at home? Uh, is it something that's happened in their past that's resurfacing in this way? 
and I always make a point of taking the time to pull that person aside and, you know, hopefully they, they feel comfortable enough to, to chat with me about it and we can, you know, better understand each other as humans because, you know, work is work. It's work for a reason, right? It's even the best day at work can be a little bit challenging. So being connected to the people around you just makes it a little bit better. But from a leadership perspective, I found that it's allowed me to do a lot more with a lot less. We never have enough developers. You never have enough QA. You never have enough support or salespeople. So how do you get the best out of the people that you have? And this is one way to do that, you know, to connect better with them, to be more of a family unit than a company. John, I'm curious about, I mean, over your career, sounds like you've chatted with a lot of different people. I mean, you've obviously invested in yourself, you know, trying to learn. You just talked about instead of viewing someone as like, what's wrong with them? You know, you want to try to figure what's yeah. what's going on. And I mean, luckily, we live in a country where there's such diversity. And of course, diversity is such a buzzword right now, but it's really important. And I love what's seeing. And, and for my world on the benefit side, it's become incredibly important. But as a business leader, that's an important topic. Can you maybe dig into a little bit about the importance of a diversity from your perspective and perhaps even you know, any benefits that you've seen from it? Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm going to tackle a couple of issues with this one, actually, because I was interviewing a few people this morning, as a matter of fact, and it got me thinking about something that I learned early on in my career around hiring. When hiring someone, and actually, I realize that I'm probably preaching to the choir here a little bit, but when you're hiring someone, we have a tendency to hire people that look and walk and talk like us, right? And it's not necessarily physical appearance. They've got previous experience that's similar. So it's thought diversity versus sort of traditional diversity. So it's very important for me that whenever we're going through the interview process with any role, that we're always asking the same set of questions. So that we're trying to be as unbiased as possible because there is such a thing as confirmation bias when you're interviewing someone, right? But the one thing that I've learned over the years, some leadership are not big fans of this. Some are. I'm personally a big fan of hiring people who have a particular skill set in a functional area, but don't necessarily have the expertise in the market because they typically will come from outside and bring an interesting sort of point of view on things. And they can come in and shake things up a little bit, become agents for change there. And the same is true of any other diversity. Uh, there's actually been scientific studies done that show that except for in uh, menial labor type environments, where you're not really solving complicated issues, but in you know most businesses where you're all solving complicated business issues on a daily basis, having a diverse team, people with different backgrounds, different nationalities, different religious backgrounds, whatever it is that makes you different, I can't possibly list them all in 30 minutes, but putting people together from diverse backgrounds and diverse sort of work experience does lend to create better working teams because everyone is contributing. Everyone feels like they're contributing. You don't necessarily have one person who's, you know, the natural leader. You might have a natural leader, but they're not driving the entire conversation. And it's something that's important to me. You know, I have a boy and a girl and over the years, I've hired in, uh, quite a few people, and I've seen, especially in technology and engineering, you know, there's way more men than there are women. Over the last 15 or 20 years now, you know, we've been uh, hiring a lot of people from a lot of different countries. And I have to tell you that, you know, apart from maybe speaking with a little bit of an accent, we're bringing in people that are extremely smart, extremely talented, and are making a contribution almost immediately to the organization. So I'm quite proud of the fact that, you know, we've got people at Vacantis who are, we're a small team, but we have quite a few people that come from a very diverse background and right now sort of spread across Canada a little bit as well. 
And hopefully we can continue to grow next year at the rate that we're at and we can continue to add more people. But I think it's imperative for any company to diversify their workforce for so many reasons. If for no other reason, then you'll be able to solve problems in a much more efficient way and you'll be able to delight your customers as well. We have a very, well, we all of our people are great, but we were on a, uh, we had an all hands meeting on Monday and mm-hmm. we, had, we had done things a little bit differently and, and Al had shared a video on principles and we all thought, let's, let's just hear what everybody, you know, has mm-hmm. to say about it. And it was interesting, a couple of things. It was really interesting to hear everyone's perspective and they were all very different. Mm-hmm. And then one of our team members, again, incredibly bright, been with us a long time. He came on, he said, you know, when we have these meetings, sometimes I'm a little bit hesitant to share my thoughts. This isn't a comfort zone for me because, you know, first of all, English is not my first language. And I went away from that thinking, oh my gosh, like that must be a real challenge when you you got that hesitation and something I grew up here. So I don't even think about that. But I went away with an appreciation of, wow, that's that's a challenge that I've never faced. And it was interesting. And I never would have known that he was uncomfortable because he shows up every meeting and he does a great job and he shares about his life, whether it's personal or business. So you're right. I think that's incredibly important. And I would hazard a guess other members of our team went away with the same feeling thinking, wow, I never knew that. Right. So I think that's incredibly important. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree hundred percent. And, you know, I've only been in Vacantis a few short months, but I'm trying to get more people to be more comfortable with sharing. And it isn't just new Canadians or people for whom English is a second language. There's a lot of people out there that are just not comfortable sharing, right? And they're definitely not comfortable sharing in front of a group of people, right? Like imagine how nerve wracking that is, right? To share something that's intimate or personal to you in the language that's not your first language in front of a group of people. And even worse via Zoom where you've got you know no feedback whatsoever, at least in a room, you can see if people are relating to what you're doing. So yeah, good for that person, right? Like that takes a lot of bravery to be that uncomfortable. And to volunteer that information, which yeah. struck me. And he was actually one of two people that that said that. And we've been having these meetings for a long time. And so, you know, for them to both speak up and say, this is where my comfort zone is. I, th- I thought that was great. Just to add on to Robin's point. And hey, I'll confess, I'm not in that setting per se, but I'm definitely not the greatest at just showing my personal side to everyone. So mm-hmm. definitely something that, uh, you know, I want to work on too. I've presented in front of, you know, 300, 400 people all the way down to a small group of people that were very scary. <laughs> and, you know, I've been doing presentations in front of people for over 20 years and I still get stressed out, you know, when I'm building a presentation, when I'm thinking about, and if I can offer one small nugget to anybody listening, the best thing that you could possibly do when it comes to a presentation, because especially the first few times, you're going to forget everything, right? You think you're going to write all these words and you're going to memorize all the words and read the slides and you're going to stand up there and half of it's going to go out the window. So the best advice that I can give someone, and this was great advice that I got early on in my career was just write down in a sentence or two, the story that you want to tell. And then once you've figure that out, then you can build, you know, your supporting arguments into the slides. And then obviously it allows you to have a good start and then a good summary at the end. So even if you lose your way as you're presenting, which happens to people uh, quite often, as long as you remember the overall theme of what you were talking about, you'll get yourself back on track. I'm going to jump in here and hijack the next question because generally speaking, Al Al and I go back and forth, but You've got to save his energy because he's got his signature question coming up. So, you know, we will we'll give okay. him a rest until then, because uh, I know okay. you're going to be happy to answer it. But I wanted to talk to you about 
We've recorded almost 100 episodes. We've released about 90 of these episodes so far. We've been very fortunate to talk to a lot of great people, yourself included. Mm -hmm. And we found that people who have had any level of success have also had failures along the way. And Al and I were talking about that this morning, you know, like it's a okay to fail. Like most doors mm-hmm. don't just have, you know, open one way. Usually they open two ways. So you can always go back, but I'd love to hear what are some of the failures you've faced and how they've shaped who you are today? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. Actually, one of my favorite videos, if anybody hasn't seen it, they should probably go see it is there's a, and you guys might know this one. So fill in the blanks for me, but Steve Jobs delivered a commencement speech. I think it was at Berkeley. And this is a man who had risen to heights in the absolute pinnacle of three different businesses and three different markets. And he's standing in front of a group of, you know, sort of hopeful, doe-eyed graduates. And the three things that he shared were his biggest failures, which was quite interesting because he's obviously got hundreds of thousands of success stories that he could tell. But they were quite powerful because I think that they were, you know, learnings for the people that he was sharing them with. I think often of my very first failure, and that was the first time I became a manager, not a team leader, because, you know, a team leader is a bit of a player coach. So you're responsible for people, but you're still kind of shoulder to shoulder, like really at that management level. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I recognized that I was doing a fantastic job, so I got promoted. But there is absolutely no guarantee that because you're really good at your job, that you're going to be able to succeed at the next level especially because I received, you know, no real management training and I didn't have anyone as a mentor. So at the time I did what I think most people do is just sort of double down on my role, trying to lead as by example to the team of, you know, they should be working as hard as me or, you know, doing the same things that I'm doing. And I failed miserably at it, right? For the first six months, my team was completely disconnected. They were unhappy. I had the additional stress of having been promoted over people that I've been working with for about you know a year and a half or two years. Some of them had been there five or 10 years. So I learned some pretty valuable lessons there because I found myself in this situation a few times where I've been promoted over someone else who arguably was uh, in a better position to take the role, had more responsibility or more experience and things like that. So you learn very quickly to be able to tackle those things head on. So the first thing that I learned how to do was to delegate. Right. And that was the hardest thing to do is letting go. You go against every fiber of your being because up to that point, everything you've been doing has been leading to success. So it didn't make any sense that I would stop doing that. But once I was able to finally let go and start to delegate and act more like a manager than a, you know, a big brother or a best friend, that's when I really started to see some growth, both from the team and from myself. And, you know, we would start having high level conversations and build goals together. And I would bring everybody together once a month. We would highlight the things that we did well. We would highlight the things that we could have improved on. And then we would make a plan as a group to achieve those goals. And I think that is the foundation for me of my success is the ability to look at the situation, be honest with myself and those around us, and then build a consensus to move forward as a team. I'm glad you brought up the part about delegation and letting go. Because as a, as a leader of a growing organization myself, that has been my biggest challenge. Because yeah. you're right, the early success on my side of the business mm-hmm. has been because of me. And I feel like I'm letting people down. I'm letting clients down mm-hmm. as we grow the team. But it's the reality is, I was, I was having a chat with a colleague this weekend who is just at his wits end. And I said, you have to delegate. As much as your ego says the world will fall apart without you, the reality is it won't. 
And as long as you've got good people around you, you've supported them so they know what they're doing. You've given them authority. And what's the word I'm looking for? It's okay to fail. It's okay to make a mistake, yeah, right? They're like they're a safe, safe space. Yeah. yeah, a safe space. That's what I was looking for. And and I think that's so important. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Well, John, it is it is time. Before we jump there, Robin, I was going to chime in one thing about failure. And I may not have all the words, but you know, one of the best things I ever heard or read was, Failing doesn't make you a failure, right? Absolutely. You can fail many times, but just, well, you alluded to Steve Jobs and the three biggest failures. I don't think anyone would call Steve Jobs a failure. Yeah. So yes, now we'll jump into the final question for the day. And I think you've already been prepped for this. So I'll just jump right into it. There's a saying that goes, the society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting? First of all, great question. And I'm not just playing up to the guys, but... But that's okay if you do want to play up. That's fine too. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, if I want to get invited back, absolutely. So look, I'm, I want to be honest to the listeners, right? The first time you asked me this question, there was a significant pregnant pause in my response. And the, I think the reason for that is there's a couple of different reasons, right? Because it's a question that makes people feel uncomfortable, right? Because now you have to talk about yourself. You have to talk about your legacy. You have to talk about... A lot of things that people just are not comfortable talking about. And then you obviously have to choose your words very, very carefully because you're talking about other people. And for me, that is the thing. I've always prided myself on sharing any information that I've gathered, you know, throughout my career. I offer people coaching and mentorship anywhere and at any time if they're interested. I have been lucky enough to mentor some pretty bright people over the years. And when it comes to planting trees, I think that those are probably the ones that stand out for me. I've worked with some very young people that have even come up to me and said, you know, like they, they look at my career trajectory. You know, when I was at Open Text, I joined as a tech support person. I was fresh out of school, newly married, and just answering tech support calls on the phone. And 10 years later, I was the managing director of the business, you know, running a $30, $40 million software company. So There's a lot of people in sort of junior positions that look up to someone like me as a blueprint for how to get there. So I recognize how lucky I am and I recognize the path that I've taken is not the most traditional one. So I've always made a point of trying to mentor people and offer assistance. And I think that's really what it is for me is just trying to help those around us. Because at the end of the day, all we have is each other. That is a great answer. I'm appreciative that you were able to share that. And you did choose to answer that question because some people do pass. And so thanks for sharing that. Well, that's a good callback to my previous comment, right? I've made a career out of answering uncomfortable questions or having uncomfortable conversations. So this is actually my wheelhouse. So thanks for that. Beautiful. We like to make people uh, think. It was a great answer and a great message. And I think that's a great place for us to leave off. So I just want to say, John, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your journey. What's the best way for people to reach out if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Vacantis? Probably the best way is, I mean, LinkedIn, right? If people can manage to spell my last name, they can find me there. (laughs) So it's John Metropolis, obviously. And, you know, if you go to the company website, I think I'm on there. And if I'm not, I'll be on there soon enough, hopefully by the time this airs. Perfect. Well, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or we're joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Remember, success leaves clues. Thank you.